We're beginning a new series this Sunday, and I'm very excited about the promise that it holds for us, uh, probably second only to uh, Romans, Galatians has proven in the life and history of Christianity to be a most influential and transformative letter. And we're going to take our time and we're going to walk through Galatians together and we're going to find the essence of Christianity. The message of Christianity is the gospel. And so we're going to look and Paul is going to expose and show us what the gospel is and what the gospel is not. But not simply to learn in this series what the gospel is doctrinally or even theologically. Not to simply learn about it as knowledge, but to experience it. He says here in verse 3, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's no mere greeting. It goes back to Numbers 6 in the ironic blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance up upon you. The Lord give you peace. The gospels in the Old Testament and the gospel's origins are grace. It comes solely from grace. Nothing on our part. And the result and fruit of the gospel is peace. And so even as he greets the church, I would greet you this morning as we launch into this series and our focus is going to be on the gospel. Is the gospel not only known at Two Rivers, but are we experiencing it? Do we see it as coming from all of grace, grace alone? And do we experience peace with God Peace with one another because of the fruit in our life. Well, this morning, the big idea is this. Paul is going to introduce this letter by introducing himself as an apostle. And an apostle who is bringing and reminding these churches of good news. But he's aroused to anger because there's a problem. There are teachers who have come in amongst the congregations here, of which there are probably three or four. Now I'm into, if you're looking at your outline, the background of Galatians. But they're, they're teachers. They're known as Judaizers who have come in. And he says down in verse 6, that people are deserting and they're turning to a different gospel. And in verse 7, he says they're causing trouble and they're distorting the gospel of Christ. The word for distortion means the same as reverse. If you'll, if you'll write the word gospel on an index card and then you hold it up to a mirror, it's going to, the order of the lettering is going to be exactly reversed. End upon end. What the big idea is this morning is that if you reverse the gospel's order, you bring a curse. You bring back a curse into your 
Paul says, accursed are those that reverse or distort the gospel. Why? We're going to look at that in just a minute. But what do you think about curses? I was, I, I googled curses. I googled like real curses. I googled, uh, uh, just google curses. And what's going to come up is there's like a top six curses in the world. The Hope Diamond. Uh, now in a museum, but when anyone took ownership of the Hope Diamond, then they died in a car accident or uh, mysteriously uh, vanished. Uh, The Iceman, huge curse. The Iceman, this primitive man that they found frozen in the ice that the person that discovered him, the people that investigated, the people that did experiments on the flesh, each had strange reasons for their demise. One ancient document that I came to to read talked about a religious curse where a man, who, if a man is plagued with jealousy for his wife and he can't prove that she is having an adulterous relationship outside of the marriage, he can go to the priest with his wife and he can say, you know what? When you get to the bottom of this, because I just don't know, Lucy. And so the priest asks her if she's committed adultery. And if she denies it, he says, well, then you wouldn't mind submitting to this test. So she goes into the worship area, and she sits down. The priest unbinds her hair, and he gives her a bowl of water. And he takes some of the floor of the worship area, dirt, and he sprinkles it into that water, which is holy water, been set aside for a specific use. And then he writes words of a curse on a scroll. And the words say something to the effect of, if you're guilty, confess now. But if you're guilty and you don't confess now, when you drink this water... You are going to be cursed. Your belly will swell and your thighs will waste away. And I don't know what that's all about. And he will then take that water and he will wash that scroll so that the words of the curse go into the water. Isn't this bizarre? Isn't it wild? Well, let me read to you from Numbers 5 what happens next. Because that's the ancient document. Then the priest shall write these curses in a book and wash them off into a water of bitterness. And he shall make the woman drink the water of bitterness that brings the curse. And the water that brings the curse shall enter into her and cause bitter pain. What's the point? Curses are in the Bible. Now we are warned. We are warned to not go in that direction. But in this case, if a person is unwilling... And they're guilty if they're unwilling to receive atonement and forgiveness for their sins. If they hang on to that, then he says, this is a ceremony where they literally will drink the very curse upon themselves and they will take it inside and carry that curse within them. And Paul is saying, in essence, when we as Christians at Two Rivers, when we 
are allured or led to a distorted gospel. We reverse the order of the gospel. In other words, I do and then God loves. I do something and then God loves me in return for that. Rather than the order of he loves me because he loves me, he comes in and he reveals himself to me even while I am a practicing sinner, far from holiness. He took the first step, not me. He took the first step. But if you reverse the order, you drink a curse in yourself or you bring a curse upon yourself. You take a curse unto yourself. That's the big idea. Now, Paul, you can read about it in Acts. and we It's, it's too much to put on uh, the screen. But you can read in Acts 13. 14 about Paul and these new converts that are established in these new baby churches in the region of southern Turkey. That was Galatia of its day. And they were a collection of small churches no bigger than ours. And they were a mix. They were a mix of both Gentiles, new converts, who had not been circumcised, who had done, they weren't religious. And then there was a group that came in among them. And you can read about this in Acts 15, chapter 1. Some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So imagine this. you got a, a new church plant you got new, eager converts, and really all they've got so far from Paul is the gospel. Jesus saves. Jesus forgives. And then teachers come in. They are also Christians. They have this gospel. Jesus saves. Jesus forgives. Jesus alone is all you need. And they say, but... We're here to disciple you new converts. Paul has a half gospel. Paul is shortcutting this thing. Paul, they begin to slander Paul. They would say such things in the scriptures of the apostles back in Jerusalem while Paul is running around Galatia and, and Ephesus and Colossae. He's trying to do an end run with the gospel. He's just giving, he's just saying. Jesus is enough. Jesus is all you need. And he, he's just kind of shortcutting the gospel. He's got a half gospel. And the apostles back in Jerusalem, they haven't authorized him. He's not credentialed in the church like we are. Paul says in verse 24 of Acts, Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us, some of these people would have been around Paul. And I mean, they knew how to, to, to really try to undercut his authority. They could say, Paul, you once persecuted the church. And we'll look at this next week, Paul's conversion in Acts 9. To show where he's coming from and how he really received the gospel. But, but they would have known Paul as a persecutor formerly. And so some have gone out from us and they troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no 
instructions. So what's happening is, is Paul is being portrayed here as a new, a newbie, uncredentialed, unauthorized, and he is authoring a new gospel because they hark back to the law of Moses in the Old Testament. And it's creating confusion in the church. More than that, it's unsettling their mind. It's not creating the peace that he wishes for the church and that is a fruit of the gospel. It's creating trouble. And so, Paul puts forward at the very beginning, I'm Paul and I'm an apostle. In Luke 6, verse 13, we see Jesus setting aside the disciples as the first apostles. Now that means that the apostle is too simplistic to say that an apostle is simply someone who has seen with their eyes a risen Lord. That's part of it. An apostle is someone, we don't have apostles today in that sense. No one here has actually physically seen a resurrected Jesus. An apostle means a sent one. That's what Jesus did with the disciples. He says, I am authorizing you personally to represent me. And later in the Gospel of John, verses, I mean, chapter 13, verse 20, he says, An apostle is someone that they are to receive you just like they would receive me. They're to receive your words just like they would receive me. So what Paul is, an apostle, is someone that has the power of attorney. And in this day, an apostle could be commissioned by any man. And if I had an apostle, I would say, you're going to be my apostle. And I want you to go to Greenville. And I want you to tell a family member this. So my apostle goes up the road to Greenville, and while he's there, he goes into a bar, drinks too much, gets in a fight, busts up the place, goes back home, bartender calls me, and he said, you owe me this much money. And I can't say, well, he committed something illegal. I didn't authorize him to do that. An apostle was a complete representative. Whatever an apostle said or did, it was the, the, the owner, I mean not the owner, but the, the originator of the message and the commission was responsible. That's what Paul is saying, that it's not from man. It's higher up. It's not from a religious body. It's higher up. It is literally from Jesus Christ and God his Father. I saw him on the Damascus Road, Acts 9, risen. But more than that, he reversed the order of the gospel that I had. He said, Paul, why do you persecute me? And Paul's like, well, I'm religious. I'm a Jew. Of course I'm going to, put on, I'm going to persecute. That's the order that you want, God. And he said, no, no, no. You don't get it. That's not the order. Your order brings death, trouble, by its very distortion of good news. You're reversing the order of good news. The good news is that I am Jesus, and I have completed redemption on the cross, 
And my salvation now is freely given without being earned. And so Paul goes into, and he says, not only that, but it's not a consensus building, but he's saying, my brothers, and that's the word Adelphoi, that means brothers and sisters. He said, all people, all the people around me, they believe the same thing. We're all on the same page. Different statuses in life, socioeconomic, but we're all on the same page because we all believe in the gospel. But now look at you, Galatia. You are being scattered. Some of you, in verse 6, are actually deserting the church, leaving the church. There's no unity anymore, but he says, me and the brothers, we're together on this because it's the message from God, not from me. I'm an apostle, not because I wrote it. I'm apostle because I'm a sent one. Then down in verse 4, it's very interesting that Paul here, he, he explains, he gives us right up front what the gospel is. And can I say, as, as we look at this part, I want you to look, if you're underlining or highlighting your Bible, I want you to highlight the word deliver, uh, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present age. Paul says, I'm an apostle, and here's the message. Here's the message. It comes from grace. It brings peace with God and peace with one another. And here's the message. That Jesus Christ offered himself. This harkens back to Leviticus where a sin offering was brought. An unblemished lamb or bull was brought, innocent, and sacrificed. And he said he was brought forward. He came forward and he delivered us. That means rescued us. From the present evil age according to the will of God and our Father. In other words, it was an agreement in heaven between God and Jesus. It was the order. It was the plan. It was the design. And Paul's getting ready to say, don't touch it. Don't mess with God's order. It's not my order. Don't reverse it. Don't distort it. God's design. It's God's rescue plan. The gospel is not so much a doctrine and a teaching for knowledge. It's a rescue. And so he's saying, Jesus Christ, he doesn't quote a a teaching. He doesn't say, here's what you need to do, church. Here's what Jesus tells you to go and do. He says, here's what Jesus has done. And that's the order of the gospel. I don't love, I I don't obey so that he will love me. He loves me and now I obey. Do you understand curse that is brought when you reverse the gospel? You say, I'm going to obey him. I'm going to be faithful to him. I'm going to be surrendered to him. I'm going to do all of these things and then he'll love me, right? But what happens when I fail? What happens when I fall? I'm only one bad sin away with that formula. I'm one bad sin away from committing spiritual suicide. You know what spiritual suicide is? Spiritual suicide is saying, there's no hope for me. I might as well go all the way now. I've tried to quit gambling. 
I've, quite, I've tried to quit my addictions. I've tried to quit all those things before. And I know, and I, I know that I'm just earning the wrath of God. That's why he feels so cold and distanced right now. So I'm just going to quit. It brings a curse in. But the Apostle Paul says the gospel is nothing more than the good news of our rescue. And this is how we're rescued. By the death of Christ as our sin offering in our place. And God has blessed that. It was the original plan all along. Now Paul shifts here. What's Paul's big beef? In verse 6, he uses the word astonished. And that's, a, that, that's really a sarcastic remark. He's like, I'm, man, this is a head I'm astonished. <laughs> I mean, you guys... You receive Christ. You're excited. These churches are growing. And then these troublemakers come in your midst and you desert. The word is the word for desert is the word that's used for soldiers who in a battle, think about a, a, a shirts and skins game or a flag football game, the team that wears the yellow jerseys. You know, everybody shows up to play flag football and everybody's wearing pretty similar clothes or different clothes. You don't know who's on which team. So you give one team the yellow jerseys and they wear those. Well, in the game, he's saying there's some of you that are taking off your yellow jersey and putting on a different livery, a different jersey. Soldiers on the battlefield in their armament, you couldn't tell by their faces they were so armed up, but they would put on a coat of arms. They would show who they're fighting for, who they're standing for. And he says, you're a turncoat. You've changed your clothes, and you're leaving the gospel. You're turning. And he says, I'm so surprised. And he tells them that that's his, that's his beef, not so much with the people, but with the poisonous, accursed distorted gospel that they are taking in. It's just like drinking that bowl of water. He's saying, you're bringing the curse back in. And he's saying, curse be those teachers. And he's telling the disciples, I think, in essence, don't go there because it's being held forward even as a different and better gospel. But he says right here, he says, actually, there's not another one. Verse 7, in other words, some of your Bibles will say, and you're turning to a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. Eugene Peterson, in his forward to Galatians, the letter of Galatians in the book, The Message, he says, when people begin to get religious control, they just can't seem to keep their hands off of hurting Christians walking in freedom, hurting them and corralling them with rules and regulations. And that's what is happening here. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 4, Paul says, Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, 
Why? So that they might bring us into slavery, which means bondage, which means control. If you want to control people, tell them, in this church, yes, we believe in Jesus, but in this church, you must be baptized. Now, baptism is a good thing. It's an act of obedience. But you can take the good news of your salvation and you can begin to water it down if you start to say, well, now, you're really not forgiven until you've been baptized and until you become a church member and until you've proven that you're regular in your church attendance and that you have uh, personal daily devotions. And these things can be very, very subtle. Let me give you a test. Have you ever heard that in order to be saved, you must put all of your faith, all of your commitment, you must put your loyalties to everything else aside. And you need to sell out. And you need to be committed to love and to serve Jesus. That sounds pretty close, doesn't it? But there's a distortion there. Because that's a false gospel. What? Wait a minute, wait a minute Phil. Wait, we do. Don't we need the size, the strength of your faith, the size and the strength of your commitment, the size and the strength of your service to the Lord Jesus Christ, who deserves all of it, is not what saves you. It's not the strength of your faith that saves you. It is not the strength of your faith that saves you. It is not the strength of your service that saves you. It is not the size of your commitment that saves you. It is the object of your faith that saves you. It is that man who died as our curse on the tree. Galatians 3, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by me obeying him. Wrong. By me standing up and testifying for him. Wrong. He redeemed me by becoming my curse. I didn't become anything. I was still a sinner. According to Ephesians, another letter of Paul, I was dead in my trespasses and sin when he came and rescued me. Man, I can get fired up on this. Chris, I am so glad that you guys are back. But man, I don't know. Some of these guys, they're looking at their watch. So that Chris is going to... And what's the alternative? You hang on the tree. Cursed is anyone who is hung on a tree. And we have that illustration at Calvary. Christ, he became a curse. He died a scandalous, criminal, cursed death. He became the curse on the tree. I was supposed to die on that, that post. And uh, there was a thief and there was a criminal on his left and his right. And one of those criminals modeled what my salvation by grace alone, in Christ alone, by faith alone looks like. He said... Lord, and I believe he was Jewish. I believe he knew that cursed was everyone that hung on a tree. He could look at himself and say, I am cursed. And I am hanging on a tree. I'm a curse hanging on a stick. And he looked to Jesus and said, You're the Lord. And I don't know a lot about you. I missed Sunday school. And I, I never went to church. And I hung out. I went to the places that don't have any windows. 
And I, I, I did a lot of bad things. But you're different. And what little I know about you, I believe you to be someone that has power. You're connected to God. Would you just remember me in heaven? Would you just remember me in paradise? You're headed there. You're headed to God. Would you just remember me before God? And what did Jesus say? No, because you can't come down from the cross and go to Sunday school and go to church and be a faithful witness for me and to serve me uh, and to grow as a Christian. You have no value to me. You wasted your life. It's too late. He says, no. He says, I will. Today, you're going to be with me there. He wasn't baptized. And I'm not making a case against baptism. I love baptism. You need to be baptized, okay? And you need to baptize your children. That's obedience. You know the gospel. So now you've got the gospel. But what he's saying is there's a curse that comes to us when we reverse the gospel. I, um, I, I want you to take away really two things as far as your basic I could have, I was trying for bees, background, beef, belief. I should have used bedrock belief instead of basic belief because it makes it sound like it's simple, but it is. The gospel is very simple, but we can mess it up. So I want to give you an illustration. Imagine a person at sea in a hurricane. And their boat has been demasted and is sinking. The Coast Guard goes through the storm and they begin to lower a rope. So they lower the rope down to you. And there you are. And that that rope is probably about 50 feet away. And you're clinging now to just the tow rail, the gunnels of the boat... And that's all that's right there on the surface. The boat is going down, but you're hanging on to that. And the Coast Guard swim to the rope. Good news. Let go of what is holding you afloat. Swim across 50 feet of stormy water to a rope that's good. That's bad news. I got to swim there? Okay, so the Coast Guard tries again. Coast Guard ties a loop in the rope. They send it back down. We're here to rescue. We're here to deliver you. We're your Savior. Swim to the rope. You don't even have to tie the knot. Just loop it around you, and we'll pull you up. Is that good news? No. It's a distortion of good news. But think the Coast Guard, that's not what they do. You're already ahead of me. You know what the Coast Guard does. The guy with a rope comes down from above. Someone from above jumps down with deliverance and rescue in his hand into that storm. He comes down into that storm 
And he comes over to me, and he properly ties that knot. And then he looks up, and he says, take them. And he stays in the storm. You see that played out at this time? That's Jesus. That's the gospel. And Paul says anything else is a cursed message. Anything else leaves you to still be troubled and uneasy in mind when you fall or fail in your sin. Because you with a distorted gospel will say, I just haven't been doing enough. I just have not been faithful enough. I've not been a strong enough Christian. Earn God's displeasure. And you will begin to, just like drinking a curse, you'll begin to visit condemnation upon your heart. But Paul says, as an apostle, he says, I'm not seeking the approval of men. I'm not trying to please people's ears. I am only being a servant of Christ. And this gospel he holds forward is, a, is known both of the gospel of grace and the gospel of Christ. And so this morning, I want to leave you with two things to consider. Number one, it's not St. Paul. It's the Apostle Paul. And it's not his gospel. It's God's gospel. And it's for you. And you and me need an outside voice to speak in to our world about what truth is. It's the truth. It didn't come from Paul. didn't come from man. It came from God. And so we can measure Gospels. We can, we can say, wow, this sounds really good, you know, that this is what I need to do to be assured of my salvation. Test it. We've got a valid source. My own heart will tell me at times. My own heart will tell me at times. You know why this has happened? Because you're such a weak Christian. That's not the gospel. The gospel says there's nothing I can do to cause God to love me anymore. There's nothing I can do to cause Him to love me any less. Scandalous. But that's the way it is. God's not going to love me if I do great, great things. Now, He'll go to Greece, or if you go to the mission field, more than He loves us who just hang out in beautiful Charleston. That's a false but there are people that go to the mission field thinking, I'm going to do this and God is going to really revolutionize and transform my life. It's not true. Number two, we do all the time Lord by a false gospel. It's tricky. I need to do this in addition to the death of Christ on my behalf. It's Jesus' death for you and nothing. But we get tricked. And it ain't going to work. It ain't going to work if you just say, well, I'm not going to believe. I'm going to put down all those false gospels. Just Jesus' death on my, ha- on my behalf. No. We need, we need to every opportunity rehearse the gospel again and again and again and again in our life. Our heart, our heart is still 
still can eat these false gospels and the condemnation of self that it brings, at times feeling very superior to others, at times superior to others, very concerned about the approval of others. But feed my heart with the gospel that I have the approval of God through Jesus Christ. But you're going to need to constantly, constantly hold on to that gospel. And that's the message of the Galatians. That's the message of this letter. Hold on to the gospel. Don't let go of it, for there is none other. And it is by grace alone. And what is our faith? Our faith is simply receiving it. Our faith is the guy down there who Jesus is tying the knot. Our faith is the guy that is experiencing lifted up. And we can experience that again as we walk through Galatians, as we rehearse the gospel to ourselves, even as we do this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I set aside this bread, set aside this cup. We're getting ready to rehearse the gospel. That this body was broken in place of mine. This blood was shed in place of mine. There is no more curse. You became the curse. There's nothing left to judge me on. There's nothing left to condemn me on. There's no curse left. And now I am free to rise and follow you. So, Father, bless these elements. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.